I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. Woohoo! Woo! I have been struggling with getting my momentum back with how to introduce the show. I don't know if y'all noticed, like the last three episodes, I've said it different and it's not, it doesn't flow the way it has. I like, I, I enunciate the words differently. We got you, um, boo. I, I think you're doing a good job. I'm no strange. Complaints. Well, hi, ladies. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Hola. everyone. It is pre-Thanksgiving, and we're already tired. Yeah, so if you're listening to this, um, we have not yet delved, dived, dove in into, I'm too tired to think, um, into our Thanksgiving meals. Of course, if you don't do Thanksgiving. Happy um, Thursday. Much yeah. respect to you. As Buffy says, it's a sham with yams. It's a yam sham. <laughs> um, so, you know, if you don't celebrate it, cool. I don't blame you. Um, but I just want an excuse to eat. Anyway, um, so the we're all sleepy. food that my husband and his sister are going to cook. Like I'm doing my two little casseroles I do every year, but it's like pineapple upside down cake. She's bought us a ham. We have a 20 pound turkey. I'm like, how are we going to eat? That is a big fucking turkey. And there's a lot of like, there's green bean casserole. There's mac and cheese. There's mashed potatoes. And I'm like, that's a lot of food. I'm glad I invited my mom and dad over because anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not cooking anything. As usual, we ordered our turkey from Corky's. So thank you, Corky's Ooh, in Memphis. Yes. <laughs> we are lazy. Out of a sister, man. They just love to, every year, they they just come up with some crazy recipe. So Somebody two- on TikTok had like a Popeye's turkey. And oh, I, was, yeah. I was really tempted, but I'm like, I also don't want to cook. So. Yeah, Damn. I know some people who are doing the Popeye's turkey. I would love a Popeye's turkey. I wish I knew right? that. Yeah, so I used to do the turkey every year, and I was like, I'm tired of it. So I'm going to make Corky's do it. So anyway, yeah, so by the time you hear this, Thanksgiving will be over, and we hope you have enjoyed the Thanksgiving parade, and we hope you have your tree up or whatever it is you celebrate. We don't care. Um, But what we do care about. We care, but. (laughs) I mean, we do, but I'm saying I'm not going to get mad if you're like, I'm not celebrating Christmas. Okay, cool. I don't care. Love that for Um, you. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we did want to celebrate some of the people who read us some emails. Yes! We mentioned these last week. We had some very sweet emails come in and, um, we wanted to give those a shout out. So Lou who do you, you want me to start? Re- yeah. Sure. Okay. So this email is from Jessica and it is titled a 17 year old girl was murdered in my home. Yeesh. Hi, ladies. I'm a new listener and I love your show. And we love you. Yeah, we do. I've started at the beginning and I am working my way to your more recent episodes. I just finished Paranormal Grab Bag. Your show inspired me to make an account with findagrave.com and finish my family tree as well as help others by fulfilling photo requests. While doing some family obituary research, I stumbled upon a website, newspapers.com, signed up for the seven-day free trial, and was able to access all the obits a gal could ever want. And side <laughs> note, Sheena has a newspapers.com account that I use all the time. So it yes, is it is the, the group account. <laughs> yes. oh, it's the best thing ever. Yes. As I was driving home later that day, I thought I should search the address of the home I purchased two years ago, not knowing what I would soon what I was soon to find. 
Attached are the articles and the photo of the beautiful 17-year-old girl, Kimberly Dawn Wright, who was murdered for an unknown reason. Kimberly went to her older co-worker's house where she was stabbed and strangled by Terry Bitten. Hannah. What did That's we say cue. about Terry? <laughs> There's Never only one good Terry. Terry. Only one is... good Terry, and it is Lori's papa. Yes. Yep. The only I... good Terry. Yep. After murdering Kimberly, Terry called the cops to confess, left a suicide note on the counter, and drove approximately 8 to 12 miles away from the crime and completed suicide by gunshot. The location of where he completed suicide is unknown since I am finding very conflicting information. If it was North on headquarters or East out Rose Valley, you know, that kind of stuff is very typical, unfortunately. Yeah. And the articles it states her school counselor called her a quote, troubled kid and seemed to have few friends in quote Pierce What's that got to do with it exactly exactly Pierce commented quote cute girl who didn't have a boyfriend but went out a lot and wow the public appears to be showing no remorse for her loss personally I read the article and here don't worry she was troubled and loose she wasn't going anywhere anyway oof yeah when she was she was a smart girl ahead in school credits had admirations to get a good job and make money now, I know you all aren't from Longview, Washington, but let me no. give you a backstory. Longview is a wood paper mill town. In the early 1900s, they built small homes close to the mill so the men could walk to work. Over the years, these homes became rentals for low-income housing, and the area started to being, uh, started being referred to as the Highlands. Such an oxymoron, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Bart's, the restaurant where Kimberly and Terry met, is known as a rough bar. This was not the place you brought your first date, but maybe the place you went to get belligerently drunk for the least amount of money. I like that. (laughs) Regardless of where Kimberly lived, hung out, or where she worked, should not be reasons to shrug off her death. This innocent 17-year-old gal was murdered, and the townspeople gave zero fucks. I cannot find an obituary or any service or, or that any service was held for her, but she does have a memorial on find a grave, which is where I found the photo of her. Can you ladies help me give Kimberly a proper send off and him a proper fuck you. We would love to Kimberly. Yes. We hope behind the um, a side of the veil that you are finding your peace and what's his face. I hope hell is hot yes amen the a bad terry another bad terry the bad terry but um, yes also other than newspapers.com there is a website because hello i'm morbid um <laughs> called housecreep.com where you can see not just murders but like meth labs and other assorted oh, yeah. criminal activities in your neighborhood yeah. yeah i was about to say like see murders no see see where murders have happened probably (laughs) probably a good idea because you know they they are not required to disclose that information unless Um, it's california i think california you have to depending on the state they do not have to inform you that it's haunted or that a murder has occurred there or anything of the sort so and see the last time that a murder took place 
on my block, not even my building, just up the block from me was in 1929. So I I feel good about that. And you know what? Chicago in 1929 was pretty goddamn rough. So yeah, I'm surprised it was almost a hundred years ago. Like, come on, Chicago, step it up. (laughs) Well, I live in hipsterville, so nobody's shooting anyone around here. It's been gentrified. It has been. There's lots of white people here. (laughs) So Lou, who, who sent in that email? Remind me. Her name was Jessica. Thank hey, you, Jessica. Jessica. Thank you. And yes, all the love to Kimberly. Um, I don't care what people. That's, that's the thing that you you just hope no one says anything like that about you after you're gone. Like, oh, she right. was this or that, whatever. Like, no, people are so much more than that. So, yeah. well, it's like, and like, not to get like too deep of like, you know, my brother's recent passing and you know, he lived a lot of his life unhoused and he had substance abuse issues, but I was like, he's still my brother and he had four kids and he was my mother's son. And he was my, you know, my sister-in-law's husband and he mattered to us, you know, exactly. People make, some people make poor decisions, but when they're your family and you love them, it does, you know, right. I'm like, they're, they're humans, you know, exactly. Um, And then we got another sweet note from another listener, Lindsay from Memphis. So I'm going to read this email. Um, She says, I recently found your spodcast. That's a new one. Y'all. I recently found, I fairly recently found your podcast on Spotify. I swear to God, I can read y'all. I love true crime, live in Memphis, and dream of someday being buried at Elmwood. Ma'am, have you taken my true crime tour at Elmwood Cemetery? (laughs) Like, I think we would have a great time. Um, I've been catching up from episode one and just finished the one where y'all talk about major taylor hannah that was your story right Yay! it was it was yeah that was our athletes episode right yes yeah within a week of listening we went to indianapolis for fall break and they were doing a special exhibit on him it was so Ah. exciting to see something i just learned about in a museum thanks so much Yeah, I know. Thank you so much for the fun experience and an amazing podcast. And here's what I love is Lindsay signs it, um, this email as a Memphis native and future ghost. And Lindsay. I love that. Have we met before? Because I have future ghost tattooed on me. Like, so like on the back of my arm, there's a little sheet ghost and it says future ghost. (laughs) So like, Lindsay, did did you know this? Have we met? Um, I mean, it's possible. Maybe she saw it on one of my tours, or if you haven't been in my tour, Lindsay, <laughs> you need to come. We'll be besties. <laughs> anyway, so thank you, Lindsay, for writing that in. And it's so cool that Major yes. Taylor is still getting some love all these years later. Absolutely. Very deserving. Wonderful. Very deserving. Um, and speaking of deserving, I meant I wanted to mention this last week and I forgot. Um, If you pay attention to true crime news, you've probably heard this, but I feel like it's gotten overshadowed by a lot (laughs) of other major news events of all types. But the Lady of the Dunes was finally identified after, what, 40, 45 years? Right. Um, She was found dead in New York, New Jersey. I can't remember now. Somewhere up north, right? Wherever it was that they filmed. Martha's Vineyard, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
And um, because there was some speculation that maybe she was an extra on Jaws. Anyway, and she has been unidentified for all of these years. Um, she was a victim of a murder. But this week, they finally put a name to her body, and that is Ruth Marie Terry of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So kind of a local girl. She was um, in Massachusetts. There, yeah, yeah, there, there, there you go. go. Yeah. But yeah, so um, I'm just really glad that they have worked their you know, DNA magic and given her mm-hmm. name back to her. She has been the subject of a lot of podcasts and documentaries and stuff. And I'm glad that the speculation's over and maybe they can find out now who killed her. So, well, and I, I was going back, so I've uh, caught up on all my podcasts. I'm trying to look it up to make sure. Cause I cannot remember the dude's name. Um, but I was listening to older episodes of last podcast on the left. I know we talk mm-hmm. about them a lot, but they're, they're great. We love them. Right. Um, and I just happened to pull up the Haddon Clark episodes. Uh, oh episode. yeah. Yeah. They had suspected he might have been. He, involved well, in he, that. Conf- he confessed. He said he killed her and he, I think knew there was I can't remember even though I listened to it like two days ago but apparently he knew something that hadn't been released to the public um well there's so I don't think he did it just based on just based on my limited knowledge of listening to their great coverage it starts episode 389 uh yeah but yeah I just listened to that and I was like oh wow and this was recorded a few years ago so obviously her name we hadn't found her yet but yeah um if they have any dna on her I they can they find the guy i know they can because i mean yeah we, they got the golden state killer using that um absolutely yeah, dna genetic all that magic so um and while we're kind of talking about crime i in podcasts um i was listening to the latest episode of dateline because i do not have time to watch tv and I got really angry in the first 30 minutes or so, because basically it was just them playing the interrogation of this kid who walked in and found his mother murdered. And they were basically saying, you did it. And they interrogated him for something like 14 hours. And let's just be clear. You do not have to sit there in an interrogation, an interview, if you have not been read your rights, if you are not under arrest, you can get up and leave. Even if they're saying, we know you did it. And, you know, if you didn't do it, then we need to change our jobs because we know you did this. And before you even get to that point, lawyer should be the first yeah. thing you say. Even yes. if you think you want to be helpful, I understand the emotions of, you know, if it's a loved one that you're in shock, but always, 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 always lawyer. Do not say how innocent you fucking are. word because police officers, you know, sometimes they do good. Sometimes they don't do good and right. they can tell you whatever the fuck they want to get you to confess. Even if it's not true, they will pull shit out of thin air to get a confession out of you. Do not say a word without getting a lawyer. And again, know that you have the right to get up and leave as long as you haven't been placed under arrest. So, so yeah, well, that, that, was enraging like it was and the kid was crying and yelling and screaming yeah because his mom just died and he found her like right right. and just and they're they're sitting there saying well your dad is saying that you you probably did it that he saw you on and it's just like right right and always remember that the cops are legally allowed to lie to you yeah absolutely they can say something like well your dad said or your friend said Mm -hmm. don't talk nope 
lawyer talk lawyer and, and to me i get it how they say well that looks suspicious let to it me, look suspicious mm-hmm. all that matters the, the, the murder the that i says. know that of this person that i know and love is is suspicious and i want right. to lawyer up to make sure we we clear this legally from the get-go like, exactly it's, if, it may not it may look you make you look guilty but it also makes you look legal and well, like you're and that's the thing doing too, it on the up and up like People who've never been in that situation, of course, are going to like say things, right? Yeah. It's like how in murder shows, they'll always say, oh, well, you know, they called the life insurance right away. Well, because the funeral home tells you to, because the funeral home wants to get paid. Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, it's not uncommon, especially if you have children or you have bills or it was the breadwinner who passed away. You... I mean, it's just a fact of life that you're going to need money to function as you move ahead. Yeah. So like, and I was, I found myself in that trap. And then when my grandmother passed away unexpectedly, I mean, my, it had not even been 24 hours and the funeral home was like, did she have life insurance? And so now we, you know, and so, you know, thankfully there was nothing that could have been construed as suspicious, but it was just like. You know, and so when people want to say, oh, well, he lawyered up, let him think that it's suspicious. Let him think that all day long, because at the end of the day, the only person whose opinions matter is the judge and the jury. (laughs) And at the same time, just remember, and I think this is something we've discussed a lot as we've discussed things like West Memphis three and other cases. Mm -hmm. If just because you didn't do something, don't think that they can't still pin it on you. Exactly. They, they will find a way somehow to pin it if they want to. But I still say lawyer up and I still say, mm-hmm. you know, which West Memphis three is its own. Oh, yeah. Mess yeah that's of bungled. Worms. Yeah. That's yeah, it is. But I'm just saying my hometown. Oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's, um, you know, it's one of those things that, yeah, you, you know, you're innocent. But if they want to pin it on, right. you, they'll find a way. Absolutely. It's really Absolutely. scary. Um, speaking of things that are scary and upsetting. Oh dear. Yeah. Um, I'm really tired of people I love having to be scared to be themselves. Um, I am not a member of the LGBTQIA plus community. I mean, I don't know. I might be, I'm questioning some things. Um, (laughs) I, I might be on, I might be an A, I don't know. Either way. Um, but my friends who were out and proud, mm. um, my drag queens and kings are scared because of terrible events like what happened this past Sunday in Colorado Springs. And I'm so tired of it. I am so, so tired of it. Um, I just want to send out all the love to all of our LGBTQ plus Absolutely. listeners that we love you we accept you we will do our best to keep you safe we hope you find our podcast a safe place um to be because we want nothing but the best for you and I, we love you we love absolutely. you absolutely we see you and yeah we hate you know yes we're three white women um and you know we we come from a place of privilege um but we are allies in every sense of the word and absolutely this shit has got to stop it's ridiculous and hannah i don't want to 
erase her <laughs> no her absolutely. Oh, I, I, absolutely yes i didn't yeah, want to speak I mean, on your behalf hannah no you're fine but i but, mean yeah. that's the thing is like you know and it's it's different you know granted very much passing very much and i'm very fortunate to live in like a major metro where mm-hmm. it, it's just it's part of the tapestry it is um, and I'm really fortunate to like work with and work for a company that's, you know, we have they's, we have gays, we have the whole spectrum. And my, yep. our CEO actually like cultivates that. He's, yeah. you know, very big on bringing all those different people into the thing. And another aspect of it too is like the language that has been being used in the public sphere by people in place positions of authority and free speech is not without consequences. Mm -hmm. Rhetoric has consequences. Mm -hmm. And when you were sitting there, so the worst thing you could ever call somebody is a pedophile, honestly. Right. And when you have people in authority saying that these people are pedophiles, these people are grooming children, um, which far more pastors have been arrested for sexually Thank assaulting you. children than drag queens, but that's for another day. Um, again, it's like, it's creating this environment that is very unsafe, very tense. Um, and there's always that, oh, you know, it, Colorado Springs is not a bastion. It, it's not Denver or Boulder. <laughs> Colorado is special in that way. But People shouldn't have to flee their homes no, and where they like to be in their families just because, you know, some little doughy faced shit fuck with an awful grandfather wants to, you know, has been listening to some douchebag representative whose husband's a sex offender. I mean, talk about grooming children. Yep. You know, and like I said, this rhetoric has consequences. It absolutely does. And, you know, something has to be done. And I feel like as allies, it's on us to help stand up to that rhetoric. When we see it, when we hear it, we need to speak absolutely. up and say, that's Crush not it. cool. Like Crush absolutely it. stop it in its tracks and be like, no, you can't say that to me because you think I agree with you. That's one thing I hate, especially about living down here in the South is mm-hmm. so many white people think because you're also white and you appear, they can say whatever cisgendered and you appear you. straight and you appear whatever that you automatically agree with, agree with their incredibly conservative and hateful values. And it's like, no, actually I don't. And buddy, when you shoot them down, oh, but oh, <laughs> and pro tip. <laughs> If you, it's fun to do that gives you life. And if you don't want to be like aggressive, one of my favorite things to do is when people make, you know, make a comment or make a joke in heavy air quotes, um, is go, well, what do you mean? Yeah. Can you explain that to me? I I don't get it. Um, on TikTok, it's called baby runs for president. (laughs) Um, just be like, what, what do you mean by that? Make them Mm -hmm. explain the punchline and just be like, oh, Oh, yeah, that's not because funny. they're gay and then yeah. just make them not feel funny. real shitty. Yeah. Um, I hope they do. I think a lot of these people Some of who, them don't have a who speak so. this kind of stuff don't care. Um, whereas um some of these people who are actively being hurt by this language and by these actions are the best people I know, and they're so full of love, and it's like, God, you don't deserve this. 
there well, are so even, many terrible people in this world. Right. Like, Why? Well, and even if they were terrible people on the basis of their sexuality is not a reason to judge. Like, no, there are awful people of every stripe. Yes. Of every, you know, and judge people on their merits. But, yeah. you know, like I said, there are more pastors getting arrested for being pedos than there are drag queens. And I, let's consider that. I would never let my child around pastors i won't lie i'm sorry but they terrify me i I know way too many people who have had horrific experiences within the church oh yeah and they're still in power anyway yeah yeah um that being said so i just wanted to, to put that out there that you know what folks we love you um especially our lgbtqi plus friends and fans and all that good stuff family we love you um this shooting also happened on sunday november 20th which was the transgender day of remembrance um according to the human rights campaign at least 32 people have been killed as a result of um trans violence against transgender or gender non-conforming people i think we now have to raise that since sunday but um anyway I just wanted to put that out there. Please do your best again. Um, You know, I was saying this to a friend today. Um, It was on some kind of death positive site that I found. And it said, mourn for the dead, but fight like hell for the living. And I'm like, yes, that's, that's what I'm here to do. I want to put some respect on the names of people who have gone before us. But I also want to fight for the people who are still here before they're gone because we all eventually will be gone that's your fun sheena fact of the day we're all gonna die (laughs) well and the only thing that we want for trans and gay kids is for them to grow up to be trans and gay adults amen just like we want that for black men too because absolutely oh that's been a i'm sorry i've been reading a lot of books lately that have been (laughs) You know, um, I don't know. A I lot got of you, Zora Neil Hurston in my you. house. A lot of sixteen nineteen project. A lot of stuff that I just. Oh, I'm failing, failings. Okay, so with that being said, this week's topic. Um, we are thirty minutes into recording. I don't think we've ever had that long of an intro, but that's okay by me. Um, our topic this week is firsts. We wanted to talk about people who were the first to do something, hopefully something cool. Um, so. I'm going to go first this week because we were just talking about the transgender day of remembrance and that falls in nicely with my story. And I don't know about y'all's, but mine may be the earliest of the three stories. I'm not sure how far back y'all's goes. Y'all's goes. Y'all's go. (laughs) (laughs) It's late. Okay. Um, So we're starting off with me. So picture it. Summer 1866, a congressional committee is formed to look into the riots that had just taken place in Memphis, Tennessee. Among the witnesses and survivors who testified in front of Congress were the Memphis mayor, these Civil War majors and generals and all this stuff, as well as a lot of people who um, survived the riots, one of those being Frances Thompson, who is believed to be the first black transgender woman to testify before Congress. Oh. Wow. So let's meet Frances. Yes. Now, unfortunately, I don't know a whole lot about her. Um, she was born into slavery in 1840 in Alabama. Um, 
To get the gender talk out of the way, she was assigned male at birth. Later, doctors said she was intersex. Okay. I don't really know for sure. But also, as far as I'm concerned, she identified as female. So she is a woman. End of story. There you go. Um, By the time she was 26, she was living in Memphis as a free woman. Um, I did see some reports saying that she had worked on plantations in like Maryland and South Carolina. So I'm not sure where else she went between Alabama and Memphis, but those are the two big sort of locations. Um, So yeah, she's living in Memphis as a free woman. She dressed in brightly colored dresses. It seemed like everything I read about her talked about how she loved brightly colored dresses. Um, And she... Everyone knew her to be a woman. It was no big deal. Um, And everyone knew her and loved her. Now, one thing to keep in mind, too, as we go forward with this story, she um, had to use crutches to get around. Uh, She had developed cancer in one of her feet. I'm not sure which of her feet. And, of course, you know, medical care is terrible for Black women now. And it was a joke back then, especially. Mm -hmm. So she just had to use these crutches to get around. She lived on Gayoso Street in Memphis with her roommate, Lucy Smith, who was about 16 um, at the time of all of this. Um, So they were about 10 years apart, um, and they took in washing and ironing to make a living. So they are living the best life they can in Memphis. But let's talk about what's been going on in the city and really in the country as a whole, but especially in the city. So... Following the Civil War, of course, racial tensions were high everywhere, but especially in Memphis. Uh, the Black population had swelled during the Civil War in the Bluff City because enslaved Black men had left their plantations to come join the Union Army, which had occupied Memphis. So more and more Black folks were moving to Memphis following the war, and they're all doing well for themselves. They're building businesses, laying down really the foundation of what would be the city we know today. Meanwhile, the Memphis police force was 90% Irish immigrants, Hmm. and the white police force and the black soldiers at nearby Fort Pickering seem to always be at odds. Um, I know you'll be shocked when I tell you that incidents of police brutality were on the rise. They arrested... Yes, they arrested black soldiers for minor offenses, and they were especially cruel to them, especially in comparison to white criminals. And then in September of 1865, a Union general banned parties and any other public entertainment held by black people. And I'm not sure if this was just in Memphis or throughout the country. I I was kind of confused on that. Either way. So supposedly, according to this union general, who is a complete party pooper, black folks can't have parties in public, which I'm like, that's not much has changed. Not much has changed. And I'm like, God forbid people have fun and enjoy their lives. So on April 30th, 1866, the mostly black union troops were mustered out of the army, but they had to stay in Memphis for a couple of days as they waited to receive their pay. And they're happy to be done with their army service. So they're drinking, celebrating, as you can imagine. Now, there were three black soldiers who were doing just that. And they came across four Irish Memphis police officers who just took offense to it. Because, again, God forbid these black men enjoy themselves and have some fun. And uh, the black soldiers and the white Irish officers started fighting 
I've seen all kinds of different stories of who threw the first punch or whatever, but either way, um, after that fight, news spread all over town, and this led to three days of murder and destruction in Memphis. So on May 1st, the next day, Black soldiers, women, and children held an impromptu street party in Memphis, but the city of Memphis ordered the police officers to break it up. Even though the party was outside the police jurisdiction and the city official who ordered this wasn't even on the police's chain of command. Oh, I'm shocked. Shocked. So as you can imagine, the, shol- the soldiers and, and their friends and families, they don't want the party to end. Um, so they're, you know, taking their time breaking it up. So the officers called for backup, as they do. And long story short, yet again, you can argue who shot first, but gunfire broke out. One officer shot himself in the leg while drawing his gun. (laughs) And this injury was blamed on black soldiers. Of course it was. was. Of course it was. (laughs) The gunfire got worse and one police officer was killed. Two other officers go to report the scene left the scene to report the death of one officer and the injury of another so the rest of the police force and a bunch of angry white memphians go to confront the soldiers because they're like oh these black folks shot one officer and killed another when one of them shot himself but either way several soldiers that night were shot and killed and even more were arrested And then the violence continued into May 2nd and 3rd. The white mob goes all over Memphis and attacked black homes. They assaulted residents. They looted, stole what they could. They burned down houses. They attacked schools, churches, and businesses, all owned by black people. They burned down a lot of them. Um, And a lot of white officials, including a union general, different than the one that had outlawed, outlawed the parties, and the Tennessee attorney general, were either slow to act or egged them on, literally telling them to kill people and burn down homes. Jesus. After that, finally, um, the Union General finally de- declared to um, decided to declare martial law late in the day on May 3rd. He took his sweet time. And order was finally restored by force. So in total, and I think these numbers are on the low end, 46 black people and two white people were killed. Um, One white person wounded himself. I don't know if that's the officer, but that's just what I read. And the other was a Confederate. um, One of the white people killed was a Confederate veteran who was found talking to a black friend. And the white folks shot him and killed him. Jesus. 75 people were hurt. Most of those 75 were black. Over 100 people were robbed. Five black women reported being raped. Jesus. I think that is on the extremely low end. And this does not count the people who were killed after being raped. Because I know that happened too. 91 homes were burned. 89 of them belonging to white people. One of them was a home owned by white people. And then another um, belonged to an interracial couple. Oh. Four black churches and 12 black schools were burned. Jesus. My God. It's, yeah, it's, this is really dark and I hate it, but I'm so proud of Frances for what she did. So we're getting there. I promise it just gets a little darker, then it gets a little better. So the Freedmen's Bureau investigated the riots as well as a congressional committee. 
the committee reached Memphis on May 22nd and interviewed over 170 survivors and witnesses, both black and white, and they uh, interviewed both Frances and her roommate, Lucy. So in her testimony, which you can find online, um, obviously it's not like a video or audio, but you can read it. Um, Frances said that she and her roommate, Lucy, were in their home on Gayoso Street on Tuesday, May 1st. So this was the first night of the riots when seven men, two of whom were policemen, and they knew that because of the badges, the stars that they wore, came to the house uh they said all of them were irish sorry for all the irish talk in this but <laughs> all the irish slander sorry but they it did is it. What it is yeah um they demanded that lucy and francis fix them some food and oh, Jesus. they had to so they did and then francis said when they had eaten supper they said they wanted some women to sleep with Ooh. i said we were not that sort of women and they must go they said that didn't make a damned bit of difference Ugh. i don't want to go into detail but both lucy and francis were raped by the men it was a gang rape um, i don't want to yeah, go into a we, lot more we don't um, have to go i will into say lucy one of them refused to rape lucy because she was already so beaten and was already so close to death. So he just hit her in the head instead. Jesus. Oh, God. Like, it's, it's horrific what happened to these women. It's horrific. After the assault, the women were robbed. Frances said they took three of her silk dresses and one of Lucy's. Um, they also took $100 that they had. And then, oh God, this makes me so mad, too. The women were working on red, white, and blue quilts to give to some of the Union soldiers. And they saw this, and it ticked them off. And they saw that they had pictures of a couple of Union soldiers, Black Union soldiers, in their house. And they got mad at that. So they were like, basically, if you weren't such good friends with the Union, we would have treated you nicer. Which I'm like, no, you wouldn't have. No. But they stole the quilts they were working on. And left. It was a four-hour ordeal. Ugh. So a black doctor came and tended to both Lucy and Francis. Uh, Francis reported she was sick for three days after the assault. And Lucy was, I think Lucy had a, a worse beating and she was stayed in bed for two weeks. Mm. So their testimony, along with that of all the other survivors and witnesses, um, plus the New Orleans massacre of 1866, because apparently that was the cool thing to do in 1866, um, helped Congress push for radical reconstruction. Um, so radical Republicans passed key pieces of legislature like the 14th Amendment, the Enforcement Acts, and the Reconstruction Acts. So talking to Congress did a lot of good for for Fran I, like I'm really proud that Francis was brave enough to tell the story as well as Lucy I cannot imagine they said Lucy was either 16 or 17 but she looked much younger oh, so I'm not sure how old she baby. really was but I can't imagine how terrifying that must have been to live through and then they were brave enough to stand up and say this is what happened to us knowing you know they could be killed they could be killed <clears throat> so i just think that act of bravery is incredible so back in memphis the state legislature took over the city's police force and passed laws to over overhaul the criminal punishment system in the city but as you can imagine the city's black population declined for a while because 
Who wants to stay there and Who get wants murdered? wants to stay, yeah. Right. Um, Francis and Lucy were harassed following their testimonies because people are terrible. And rumors were spread about Francis, especially they tried to make out that both girls, especially Francis, were loose women. Um, they spread rumors that Francis ran a brothel. She did not. I saw so many newspaper accounts that said that. And Jesus. it's like, <laughs> we well, can't it's take a white these. man said it. It's a white, it's, yeah, a white right. man said it in a white man newspaper. So must be true. Anyway. So, 10 years later, in the summer of 1876, Francis was arrested on charges of cross-dressing. I'm not sure if people knew that she was trans this entire time and they just now got her somehow on it. Or if this was some kind of new, um, I, I get the feeling this was like a new revelation to people who didn't know. Um, and the local newspapers used this to discredit her entire testimony. They said she lied about everything and played a cruel joke on Congress, blah, blah, blah. Oh, but please. as we all know, anyone with a grain of sense knows that anyone of any gender identity or any sex can be raped. The woman didn't lie, y'all. Right. Right. Oh, anyway, one thing that really I thought was fascinating but also infuriating was how newspapers would use her name to describe other transgender people in other cities oh my god so they would say two additional cases of francis thompson or the thompson epidemic like in new orleans and such oh god jesus which i'm like really that's you're gonna hold her up as if she's the only trans person and there had to be trans people have been everywhere for forever it's mm, anyway anyway y'all know the rant i want to go on anyway (laughs) so when she was arrested she was forced to wear men's clothing and work on a chain gang um there was i do kind of like this however there was one newspaper account that said uh she was out there working on the chain gang and a man on the street another black man said something ugly to her i guess about her gender and she threw a brick bat at him i don't know what a brick bat is but i'm glad she did they said she hit him square in the back and he hollered in pain and i'm like yes anyone who harasses anyone for their gender identity needs to have something thrown at them sounds heavy so good for her yeah exactly so as you can imagine she was continually harassed assaulted and just in general treated badly um during her incarceration she also i kept seeing reports that she said she had no appetite i don't know if she really didn't from the trauma or if they weren't feeding her but this led to her getting dysentery and shortly after her release from jail on november 2nd 1876 francis thompson died of dysentery she was only 36 oh that's terrible so do i have that right yeah 36 um what i hate is i i don't know her final resting place i know this is cemetery row we're supposed to talk about cemeteries here's the thing i'm working with two of my friends vanessa and chelsea shout out to them we are researching every memphis cemetery we possibly can um we are constantly researching them trying to find them trying to find who's buried there because there are a lot of cemeteries in memphis that have been lost And there are a lot of black cemeteries that have been lost and under-researched over the years. And we're trying our best to 
put these names back to these cemeteries and put the the names of the people buried there back in there so we know who they are and where they are absolutely um she is not at elmwood cemetery i've looked everywhere she is not at elmwood i would think she's probably at a predominantly black cemetery somewhere in memphis but i don't know i cannot find her but i'm gonna keep looking i will say um that uh you know me i like to end on a quote um there's a book called a black women's history of the united states by dr callie nicole gross and dr diana ramey berry and they talk about francis in this book so like i have to have this and they said this is a quote that although although francis was quote behind bars she suffered but she never lost her fight answering rude questions about her gender gender by responding none of your damn business exactly francis and that is the incredible francis thompson of memphis so proud proud to claim her and again as i said at the start at least 32 but now i think we know more trans people trans and and gender non-conforming people have been murdered in the united states we've got to do something about this people and we also need to point out too that a majority of these victims like francis are black or Latinx transgender women. We yep, need to protect right. our Black and Latinx transgender women. Yep. So, bam, that is my soapbox for the week and for my life because oh, I just well. want to protect people. And I'm so proud that Frances was from Memphis and that she had the bravery and the courage to tell her story. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I wish you and your uh, companions, your compadres, very much luck. Good yes. luck, very much luck. Good luck um, <laughs> in trying to track her down and yeah, uh, learn more about some of these historic cemeteries that have kind of uh, grown over, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't care if someone's grave has been lost for 140 years or however long it's been since Francis died. I did the math and now I don't remember the number. She still deserves her flowers. Exactly. And, and I would love to take her some flowers. And give her a little respect. Mm-hmm. All right, Lou Who. Isn't it, is it Hannah? Oh, yeah. Nope. Yeah. yeah. Hannah. Gum. Sorry. <laughs> Go, Hannah. You're so Go. used to me going after you. I know. Picture it Russia. <laughs> Ooh. 1957. Ooh. This is not, you're not doing. Shatillo, are you? Please no. tell me. Okay, no. good. You, well, Russia in the 50s. I'm like, of course. <laughs> no okay i i told you guys this was going to be some less left field shit okay so after the success of sputnik one in october of 1957 nikita khrushchev the soviet leader wanted to do the very next launch of sputnik two very creative uh (laughs) Just in November for the 40th anniversary of what's called the October Revolution, which is one of the things that helped kick off uh, World War I. Um, Yay, Bolsheviks. So Khrushchev was like, we got to do this thing. So he went to his space people. His space people said, you know what? We're going to give you a big thing. We're going to put a fucking dog in space. So they found Leica. Leica was a stray wandering the streets of Moscow. They picked up just before 
a week before actually the launch Soviet scientists chose to use Moscow strays since they assumed such animals had already learned to endure the conditions of extreme cold and hunger. Oh, bless, oh, bless puppy's heart. They figured their lives already kind of sucked. They should be okay. She was 11 pounds, uh, approximately three years old, um, was possibly a husky mix or maybe a Samoan, um, some sort of Nordic breed. But, you know, she wasn't very big. So 11 to 13 pounds. Yeah, that's little. She had a couple of different nicknames. uh, Kudreva, which meant little curly. Zuka, (laughs) which meant little bug. And Limonchak, which meant little lemon. Leka, however, means barker. (laughs) And I love that for her. Yeah. According to some accounts, the technicians actually renamed her from Kudajeva. I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but I don't speak Russian. Uh, to Leka because she barked so much. But she's a street dog, so how do yeah, they exactly? Right, exactly. Like exactly. So she's probably husky, and then probably terrier because she is small and there'll be pictures of her she has the cutest little Aww. face Aww. and she does have a little terrier face um but the soviet union had previously only sent animals into suborbitable a suborbitable <laughs> suborbitable right suborbital jesus that's a <laughs> word which means they haven't they really didn't leave our atmosphere um mm-hmm. they just kind of hung out but they had, you know, they had tried it. Um, three dogs were trained for the flight. Albina, Mushka, and Leka. Um, so to adapt the dogs to the confines of Sputnik 2, they were kept in progressively smaller cages for periods of up to 20 days. The extensive close confinement caused them to stop peeing and pooping and made them restless and generally oh. did not do great they weren't real pleased with that uh they also put them in centrifuges that simulated the acceleration of a rocket launch and were placed in machines that simulated the noises of spacecraft oh wow oh man these poor puppies were like could you put me back on the street yeah really i would much rather deal with russian winter than this horse which is saying something (laughs) yes the dogs were trained to eat a special high nutrition gel that would be their food in space before the launch one of the mission scientists took leka home to play with his children in a book chronicling the story of soviet space medicine dr vladimir yazdovsky wrote leka was quiet and charming i wanted to do something nice for her she had so little time left to live what the fuck oh my god i i was i was thinking she was gonna eat the children (laughs) something poor i mean russia is a bleak bleak place yes it is so they took the dogs from Moscow to um, what is called the Bachenor Cosmodrome, which yeah. sounds fun. Sounds like something from Star Wars. Um, <laughs> so on October 31st of 1957, they put Leica in the capsule of Sputnik 2. Um, 
three days before the start of the mission. Oh no, Jesus. So um, it was extremely cold, but they tried to keep it kind of warm in there for her. They also sponged her in a weak ethanol solution and painted iodine onto her where they would place sensors to monitor her bodily functions. So the whole point of this, other than just let's put a fucking dog in space, was to see how organic bodies would react to space flight. Because this is pre-us sending humans up. First we did dogs. I think later we did actually do monkeys. And then we did humans. So it's just to make sure that, you know, bodies would survive manned space flight. Yeah, but stop animal testing, people. (laughs) Right? Okay, this was like, PETA was not around. No, PETA was not. Well, especially in Russia. No, no. The ASPCA was not doing a brisk business at this time. Yeah. One of the technicians preparing the capsule before the final liftoff said, after placing Leica in the container and before closing the hatch, we kissed her nose and wished her bon voyage, knowing that she would not survive the flight. These fuckers! Come on! (laughs) Have hope! Now, while the exact time of the launch varies from source to source, because it was Russia in the 50s, yeah. um, it was either 5.30 in the morning or 7.22 in the morning Moscow time. At peak acceleration, Laika's respiration increased to about three or four times the pre-launch rate. So she was like freaking the fuck out as, as one would. Yeah. Um, so there was some 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 bullshit as she got into orbit because this is when we're putting spaceships together with tongue depressors and chewing gum yeah after three hours of weightlessness though her pulse rate settled back down to normal uh and but she was still pretty stressed pretty stressed she was agitated but she was eating they could tell from her um sensors and her diagnostics However, after approximately five to seven hours into the flight, no further signs of life were received from the spacecraft. No, no. Scientists had planned to euthanize Leica with a serving of poison food. However, they never could figure out how to do that. And for many years, the Soviet Union gave conflicting statements that she had either died of asphyxia or that she had, in fact, been euthanized. Many rumors circulated about the exact manner of her death. In 1999, Russian sources reported that Leica had died when the cabin overheated on the fourth orbit. So she went around quite, she did, she did a few. Um, and then others say that, you know, she had suffocated. It was just not great. It was not great. It sure wasn't. I hope these scientists step on Legos. Yeah. <laughs> Over five months later, after... 2,570 orbits. God, seriously? Yes, poor baby. Just she went and she went around the world. Bless her heart. Sputnik 2, including Leica's remains, disintegrated during re-entry on the 14th of April in 1958. Um, as you might have guessed, nobody was real fucking pleased with this. Yeah. Um Sputnik 2 was not designed to be retrievable and it had always been accepted that Laika would die. What the fuck, man? They they went into I mean, think about like 
I think it was like 20 million Russians died in World War II. They will throw bodies, be they human or dog, at a problem. Yep, they don't care. Yeah. Yeah. So, Laika, even though she does not technically have a burial because she did disintegrate upon, which, you know Mm -hmm. what? I'm kind of glad that she's not still up there just same roman you know she she got the coolest maybe if you're gonna go that's a damn cool way to go well and at least they didn't like they weren't able to retrieve her remains to stuff her and put her right absolutely on uh april 11th 2008 at the millie at the millie we're tired (laughs) you guys at the (laughs) military research facility where where they she had been readied for flight officials unveiled a monument of her poised on top of a space rocket which is a very cute monument Mm -hmm. um there's also been stamps and other things uh with her likeness as well as cigarettes and matches okay i do enjoy that that's a choice (laughs) (laughs) it's very russian it's very very russian (laughs) and then she also has and i'm so excited i got to use this word today a cenotaph yay um at the hartsdale pet cemetery in hartsdale new york um it has they think she was born in 1954 of course you don't ever really know with dogs um, so it has her name and her dates, 1954 to 1957, and the inscription, Laika, literally meaning Barker, was a Soviet space dog that became the first animal to orbit the Earth, as well as the first animal to die in orbit. Aww. And that is Laika. You know, Doing she deserved the most. better. She did. She did the she most. Did. She deserved better. Justice for Laika. But um but at least it wasn't like the one cosmonaut where they did have his remains and it was a whole mess that's a whole thing yeah so i'm very like you know she has such a place in science because without these tests we would not have gone into space like true you know and this is back in the the days of science where shit was real it was the wild wild west and they had animal testing for everything i'm sure oh yeah i mean like if you want to just completely ruin your day look up like some of the monkey experimentations but they're doing like head swapping and shit it's just insanity but Leica is a very good girl i would almost say the goodest girl girl. and i hope she is enjoying her time at the rainbow bridge yes me too please bring us back up from a dead dog lori (laughs) yeah we've had riots a dead dog and and now lori what are you gonna do i'm gonna do my best we're just getting right into it so annie edson taylor was born october 24th 1839 to parents merrick and lucretia edson in auburn new york i love that name lucretia yeah that's a good old timey uh, name the girl that lived next door to me when i lived in arkansas was named lucretia was yeah. she your age yeah she was like maybe two years older than me really you don't yeah. hear a lot of people these days with that name it's a great i name. know yeah. 
She was one of eight children. Oh, no. Mm -mm. But even with that many mouths to feed, the Edsons did well for themselves. Merrick owned a flour mill. And even after his death, which happened when Annie was 12, he left her enough money so she could continue to live the life she was accustomed to. Uh, Because Annie had extremely high expectations of what she deserved. And she felt she deserved to live among the wealthy and well-to-do. Okay. All right. So, so yeah, uh, she, after she finished regular school or whatever, she attended college at the Conference Seminary and Collegiate Institute in Charlottesville, Virginia. She studied to become a teacher. And around this time, she was 17, and she met and quickly married a man named Samuel David Taylor. I don't really have much information, only that he was a few years older. They did have a child, a son, who died within days of his birth. Um, Annie would become a widow at 25 in 1863 when Samuel was killed in the Civil War. Oh, man. So she never remarried. She just, she, you know, I can understand just being yeah, done, yeah, done with yeah. the whole thing. Just be uh, like, nah, we're good. She yeah. moved to San Antonio where she worked as a teacher for a time before returning to New York to enroll in dance school. Um, so, and once she finished dance school, she was a nomad. She traveled around the United States working as a dance instructor in a number of different cities, including Chattanooga, Birmingham, San Francisco, and Washington, D.C., among others. Cool. Um, as time went on, her inheritance was beginning to dwindle, and she kind of started to panic. She's like, oh, fuck, I cannot be poor. I am not made for that life. <laughs> At least she recognizes that. No, she did. She did. She eventually found herself in Bay City, New York, where she decided she's going to open her own dance studio, but also a finishing school. So, okay, make it extra. Yeah, Uh, she was pretty successful. She signed up 100 students. The school was making good money, but Annie was not frugal and she was not smart with the money she was making. She wanted her uh, clients to have the best. And so she didn't even hardly break even. She made very minimal money when she had to pay for all the fancy crap she wanted her clients to have. Um, She had to close her doors and that was kind of it. Um, sometime around the year 1900, she did go back to San Antonio and she and a friend decided, Hey, let's go to Mexico city. We'll, we'll start over there. Um, that didn't last long. And she was back in Bay city by May of 1901 out of money and out of ideas. Oh, we've all been there, but she's had a lot of adventures so far. She has. Yeah. I mean, like I would, that'd be nice. Um, especially because I don't, you know money is money. You know, it's, it's nice to have, but you know, I'm not going to panic if I don't have it, but she did. Um, and so it's around this time that she came up with her grand scheme that she believed would set her up for financial success and what makes her applicable for this topic this week. She was going to go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. Oh, right. <laughs> because here of we go. Course, of course. How old is she by this point? She is like, I, I say it at some point, but I think she's like 62. 
She's an old broad. I was going to say, like, she's she didn't decide to do this like when she first became a widow. Like, no, no, she's she's already had lots of adventures since then. Exactly, (laughs) and like nothing like this. So no, she was actually reading an article in the New York World about an expo that had been held in Buffalo and how popular the falls had been to the expo attendees. She would later tell reporters, quote, I laid the paper down, sat thinking when the thought came to me like a flash of light, go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. (laughs) This is what happens when you let the intrusive thoughts win. (laughs) No one had ever accomplished this feat, end quote. So no one's ever went over or no one has ever went over and lived. Lived. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So a little bit about Niagara Falls. It's a group of three waterfalls located on the edge of New York State and Ontario, Canada. The largest of the three is Horseshoe Falls, which is also known as the Canadian Falls because you guessed it. It's the one that's (laughs) located in Canada. And then the other two are American Falls and Bridal Veil Falls. Um, It's estimated that more than 5,000 people have gone over Niagara Falls, whether on purpose or by accident. Uh Uh-oh. The first documented attempt came in 1829 when Sam Patch jumped from a tower into the gorge and survived. If you want to learn more about this nut job, the doll is a really good episode about him. (laughs) check it out (laughs) i think i've heard that one it's hilarious and he does he does i don't know if it was niagara falls but he does wind up dying jumping it off a waterfall that'll do it um as of 2004 and that because that is the most recent number i could find 16 daredevils have made documented trips over the falls with 11 actually surviving oh god And after the death of stuntman William Red Hill Jr. in 1951, both the United States and Canada enacted laws against, quote, stunting without a license. Party poopers. With a fine of $10,000 if you're caught breaking this law. Yeah, well, they can't get you if you're dead. They're not fucking around. Uh, So whatever her inspiration was, Annie decided that she would have a custom oak barrel built and that she would ride in it over Horseshoe Falls. Yeah. Side note, no one has ever survived going over the American Falls because the base is just knives of sharp rocks. Jesus. There's no there's no bouncing out of that. You're going to die. And while still dangerous because it is the tallest of the falls. Uh, the base is less rocky, so your odds of surviving are, you know, probably a little better. better. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Annie drew up some plans and took them to a local brewery, and she's like, "Hey, build me this barrel." And they're like, "No, I'm not going to help you die by suicide." <laughs> yeah. <They're> like, no, <laughs> you're nuts. You're nuts. Uh, but eventually, she convinced him, "Hey, do this. It's gonna be. There's gonna be a mattress inside. I'm gonna be strapped in. It'll be all be good. I promise. Let's do it. And so he said, okay. And so she was very involved in the process. She even selected the white oak boards that were used to build the barrel. And um, to kind of explain how it go, it was weighed down in the bottom by a. T- 200 pound anvil so it's not like she's flip-flopping all over the place it would kind of bob 
as it went along. <laughs> Sorry, though. Everything about this is hilarious. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So she also hired a promoter named Frank M. Russell, and he went ahead to Niagara Falls to promote this attempt she was going to make. Sure. Now, Frank knew he wouldn't be able to sell the real Annie Taylor. She was almost 62 years old. Come on, um, that makes it a better story. It kind of does. Someone's she, grainy. Yeah, no, up. she told everyone that she was four, 20, She was 42. So she oh, lied about oh, her honey. age. She oh, honey. loves that. And she is not a person that could, sh- like, she looked her age. Yeah, she could not oh, pass for 42. God love her. Um, and she'd never done anything dangerous. She was a fucking, like, manners teacher. Like, she was oh, not someone that. Uh, but Frank, he pitched the hell out of her. He claimed she's an adventurer. She's climbed mountains. She swims frozen lakes. And you can imagine everyone's surprise when they saw her upon her arrival. They were expecting some tough 40-year-old broad and they got someone's grandma. I guess you can't <laughs> Millie Vanilli this. No, no you really can't. <laughs> no. Which none of our baby listeners get that reference. But <laughs> no, but YouTube the ones that do, brilliant. yes. Yeah. Uh, so then... <laughs> And this, it, this probably didn't happen. It was reported, but I don't know if it did or not. So take it with a grain of salt. So the day before she was scheduled to make her voyage, uh, they decided, you know what, let's test this, this barrel out. So uh, animal testing was also, you know, not a thing uh, in the 18 or ni- early 1900s. And so don't worry, uh, we'll get there. Apparently yeah. they sent it over the falls with her pet cat inside. Oh my no. God. No. Oh my no, God. Let me... Lori, uh, no. The kitty, the kitty survived. Oh and there's, God. Thank there's God. pictures of her with this cat. God, I bet oh my that God. cat was so Mine mad. Would murder me. Again. I hope that cat clawed the crap out of him. The records say it was a black cat. And the pictures are her with this little black and white, like this kitten. Aww. So I'm like, eh, you know, there's, it may, it, it probably didn't happen, but I just had to throw it in there. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That cat, man. Uh, so the next day, October 24th, 1901 was her 62nd birthday. And it was the day. She headed out the river, telling everybody that was watching, quote, I will not say goodbye, for I know I will see you all shortly, end quote. Love that for her. So when she got to the river, she backed herself into her barrel, and she was given some extra pillows and strapped herself in. They closed the air and somehow pumped air in. I don't know the specifics. I don't really care. Yeah, I was wondering that, like. They, was they it like airtight? used it. Was it yeah. waterproof? Like, yeah, no. I mean, because they couldn't put air air holes in it because she would drown. Right. Um, so somehow they pumped enough air that she would be able to breathe for an, about an hour. So however they did it, they did it. I don't know. Uh, she was towed downstream to the area that is known as the point of no return, and they <laughs> said bye bye. And she's like, "Gotcha!" And they cut her loose. And so it bobbed down the rapids because she was about a mile up because that's as far as they could take her. So in this barrel, is she just like fetal position in this barrel? I don't know if she was fetal, but but she was like sitting, like bobbing. Okay. Uh, this isn't yeah. a visual medium, but she was right. strapped in, <laughs> just bobbing up and down. Like, okay. and does she have snacks for the journey? I like, I know. wonder how tight a fit this was. Oh, I'm yeah. sure it was tight. It, yeah, because you don't want her flopping around in there well and she had mattresses and pillows all around her oh, okay to, smart to, yeah. smart um wow. so it, it bobbed along and then it reached the falls and it dropped 
and it disappeared into the falls for a moment and then it reappeared and it was rushing downstream so at about 4 40 p.m about you know an hour after she was released on her adventure the lid was removed from the barrel and annie emerged she was able to walk herself to a nearby carriage (laughs) <laughs> but she did suffer. She did have some bumps and bruises. She had a I three, imagine. three yeah. inch cut in her scalp, Ooh. other cuts and bruises, probably had a bit of a concussion. Yeah. Um, but for going over Niagara Falls in a barrel, that's not bad. At yeah. 62. No, no, absolutely. In 1901. I mean, 62 yeah. in 1901 is not the same and, as 62 no. in 2022. Well, and even the mattresses and pillows and that time weren't exactly the luxury we have today right right right. (laughs) there was no memory foam going on no no so while she recounted her story she shared that she knew she was nearing the edge when everything suddenly went quiet because like when you get to the edge of the falls it just gets really quiet and then when she went over she passed out she went unconscious so at least you know she she had that going for her um during interviews while she was recovering she said quote if it was with my dying breath i would caution anyone against attempting the feat i would sooner walk up to the mouth of a cannon knowing it was going to blow me to pieces than make another trip over the fall in quote. <laughs> oh honey you know what she's like i did it i did it once i ain't gotta do this again and i'm fucking Basically. done now yeah, I i'm will done tell- Yeah, and this is how she planned to make her money. She was going to go touring and traveling to carnivals and share her story and show her barrel. And that's how she was going to make money. And I apologize if you hear like some clanging. I keep hitting the uh, handle on my uh, desk and it keeps like banging. So apologies if you're hearing any of that. I haven't heard it. Um, I only heard it once. I'm being harassed by a kitten. So yeah, Jeff's been over here chasing his tail. So I've been filming that and listening at the same time. (laughs) If anyone wants to see video of my cat chasing his tail. Well, we already have video of Rosie. So we got, oh yes, I have the one of her leaping into the air. Uh, So after, after Annie recovered, Frank, who as we recall is the promoter and her manager who was supposed to help her make it rich. He began booking her across the U S but unfortunately upon realizing that the queen of the mist was a little old lady crowds just were like, yeah, we're out. We're done. (laughs) Uh, in ageism strikes again. I know more people were interested in the barrel than the actual person who made the trip. Oh Ain't that God. how it goes? Yeah. And at some point, Frank realized this and he wasn't going to make any money. So he took off with the barrel. Oh, no. You jerk. And he used what little money she had left to hire some men to go find Frank and bring back her barrel. But she was not deterred. She hired herself a new manager, Billy Banks. Oh. Billy soon realized that nobody really cared about Annie Taylor. So he went ahead on the tour with the barrel and he got himself a younger more attractive lady to be the queen of the mist and i figured that was gonna happen at some uh, point annie was like no uh no you didn't yeah I- i'm the queen of the mist and she's like no but billy and the young woman ran off with her barrel <laughs> just uh, say, i'm sorry I've ran just off with a- her barrel <laughs> i just had a mental picture of two women arguing I'm the lady of the mist. No, I'm the lady of the mist. <laughs> and they're dressed in like Edwardian period clothing. I love yeah, it. Yeah. And if no one knew, they would be like, no, really, I don't, I don't know which one of you Who is, cares? is the lady. Yeah. So <laughs> because obviously the only money to be made was from the barrel. 
Um, but it disappeared. Like no one knows what, what happened to it. It's been lost to history. Oh man. And so poor Annie realized that, well, fuck, I'm not going to make any money off of this. She made her way back to Niagara Falls. She did commission another barrel to be built and set herself up a little stand in town where she sold copies of like a little 14 page biography where she recounts her adventure. Um, she took pictures, gave autographs and like, that's how she made her money. Um, she somehow managed to make a meager living doing this before she passed away on March 20th, 1921 at the Niagara County infirmary. Now, again, they assumed she was in her 60s, but she was really in her 80s because she still continued to lie about how old she was. I love that for her. Bless Um, her. Oakwood Cemetery donated her burial plot in the Stunters Rest section of the cemetery because they actually have an area where Hmm. uh, daredevils who have attempted crazy things with the river uh, are buried. Okay. Um, We need to learn more about the people. Yeah, it's really cool. They have a tour. They have like a tour of that section that I saw in some of the sources I looked up and they did like a specific go visit Annie and see her grave and learn her Mm. story. So, um, I think it's very similar to the tours you do, Sheena. It's just focused on the, um, the nut jobs that have tried to do crazy (laughs) things. Love that for them. Yes. Mm -hmm. So her stone is very simple. It, it doesn't even include her, birth and death year it says well of course not she doesn't want anyone to know her truth right exactly good Respect. point her birth the point. Year on i did there. not i did not think of that it says annie edson taylor first to go over horseshoe fall or first to go over the horseshoe falls in a barrel and live yeah. october 24th 1901 and I that love that for ladies her. like imagine just walking through that cemetery looking at the headstones and being like i'm sorry what you know why a barrel why like yeah it just I can think though of several women at Elmwood and they're all women Mm -hmm. who either don't have their birth and death dates or they left off one or the other Mm -hmm. because they didn't want anyone to know their age like it's a it's a thing so yeah cool do it if you don't want to know your age no no and but yeah no she she i i hate it for her she did say some pretty it like she had some pretty uh rough quotes on how she thought people who were poor lived so i didn't really care for her opinion of of right people she felt were less than um and so it's like you know karma you know yeah you 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 put all your money and efforts into this and it was not successful you were not wealthy. Right. you struggled the rest of your life uh but yeah i mean yeah right i mean that just to reading a newspaper and just like you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go over my barrel. we're still talking about her today so she, yeah, no, she did it she did it damn she is, she is in a number of listicles you know yeah. of women from history so Cool. Good on you, Annie Taylor. I like how we had three different women do yes. very different things. Very different women. We're giving like a, the the woman the woman. As, well, no. So as one of my favorite podcasts, True Crime Obsessed, Jillian. So I'm attributing this quote to her. So nobody come at me. Uh, let the women do the work. And Absolutely. I think this episode <laughs> kind of summed that all up for us. <laughs> 
Yay. Well, good job, y'all. This yes. was a good episode. Yes. Um, Lou who. Where can, can they find us? us? Yeah. Where can they find us and send us emails? Yes. You can find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for now. We're at Cemetery <laughs> Row Pod. Or you can email us your story and uh, we will read it because we, we love that. So yes, we'll, <laughs> we'll read them if they come. Uh, cemeteryrowpod at gmail.com. And I do have it on my phone now and on my computer. So I am checking the email regularly now. So I will see them. And we would also love it very much if you would leave us a review. Yes. So go to wherever you listen to us. Um, I don't know of any other platforms that do it. I know Apple Podcasts does. but Well, Spotify does because we've had people, you know, these emails say that they've reviewed us on on uh, Spotify. So, okay. um, um, but yeah, just leave us a, a happy little review and tell us yeah. if you love us. If you don't love us, please keep in mind that some of us have issues with criticism and we can't handle it. And we I cry, have rese- rejection, is- sensitive dysphoria. Please do not. I do. I do Look, really, okay, really badly. We, I cry a lot. Okay. We were all uh, members of an editorial staff during <laughs> Hurricane <laughs> Katrina. Yes. And- <laughs> The way I was treated, not by these ladies, but by higher ups is why I am medicated and yeah. why I had my first mental breakdown in college. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we don't like, we can say handle things. it, we can, but, but there's, there's no, no reason, reason why we exactly. should. Well, and right. there's no reason why you should say anything. If you don't if have my, nice to say, right. don't say <laughs> anything at all. And if my, like my CEO is a sweet elderly Jewish man who I love to pieces, even though he he's grouchy in a <laughs> fun way. But if the tone changes slightly, he knows I will flip my shit. Oh, yeah. And so he's like, I'm not mad at you. And I'm just like, please tell me you're not mad at me. So don't be yep. mean to us. Yes. Yeah, thanks. That'd be great. We will cry. <laughs> though I did see a bumper sticker and I really want it for my car. It says, don't bully me. I'll come. Oh my God. I was going to say, I saw one that said, don't honk. I'll cry. And I was like, that's me. Although, I mean, I'll get mad first and cuss you and, and, and then I'll spend the fingers. rest of the day upset because the stranger honked at me in traffic. I will probably cry about it. Um, but anyway, I think, um, we decided our next episode will be about, um, funeral uh, folk funeral industry folk um, people who did something cool in the funeral industry or pioneers in the funeral industry um, I don't know I think we're, we're gonna see what we can come up with for that yeah um, I have as is on brands kind of kind of I'm sure one. it's gonna be fantastic <laughs> it's gonna be a Hannah it's gonna be a hundred percent gremlin and I'm here for it yes. absolutely um so yes, thanks for tuning in. Please be kind to each other. Stand up for the LGBTQIA folks in your life and tell them you love them. And tell everybody you love them. Because let me tell you what, you don't know when. You need exactly. more love in the world. Yeah, you yeah. do. Y'all know what I mean. All right. Be good, All folks. All right, ladies. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.